0: let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so just a little recap on where we've got to and a little bit of background Um, This letter to the Hebrews is more like a sermon than it is a letter. It doesn't have a greeting at the beginning and the author does not reveal his name. People have speculated as to who wrote this but we actually don't know who wrote it. It's written to Jews who have um, become Christians who are now being persecuted by their fellow Jews. The church has already passed through a period of trouble. Some people have been subjected to public abuse, we're told. Some had their property plundered and confiscated. Some had been imprisoned and they were under great pressure to return to the relative security of the Jewish faith, Judaism. The grim reality of persecution was of deep concern to the writer and he challenges them to leave their old ways behind. Don't go back, he says, don't go back to your old ways he wants them to move on to maturity in christ he uses his persuasive powers to encourage them to hold on to their newfound faith because the promises of god now in christ are so much better than they were under the old covenant the old covenant was important it laid the foundation and it pointed to the new but the new has now surpassed it And the old covenant was but a shadow of the good things that they now had in Christ. So in this passage here, firstly he urges them to hold on to the confession of the hope they had in Christ. Their faith, all that they were looking for, all that they had come to understand. They needed to hold on to that confession. Christianity is not a private religion. Some people say my faith is private, but Christianity is never a private religion. Our confession has great power to testify to the world of God's great and saving grace, and it confirms our salvation. When we speak out what we believe, when we confess Christ, It confirms it in our hearts. I'm sure you've discovered that. When you've had the the courage to speak out your faith, you find that you are indeed encouraged. Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's our confession, that it confirms it in our hearts. And it also has great power to ward off the attacks of the devil. In Revelation 12, it says this, And they, that's the Christians, have conquered him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb, that is, by the sacrifice, having received the benefits of the sacrifice of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And we hold on, as the writer says, because he who promised is faithful. In other words, God will not let you down. God's in this with us. Now we've come to faith. God's in it with us. Secondly, he urges them in verse 24 to take advantage of the support and, co- and encouragement that being a member of Christ church provides. For all sorts of reasons, being a Christian can be tough as it was for these Hebrews, but it was never God's intention that we should go it alone. But that we should be supported and encouraged and strengthened by our brothers and sisters in the context of the local church. Because it's primary through these relationships in the local church that we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and that God's love can flow to us and keep us in his love and maintain our faith. And as if it was not good enough, a good enough reason of itself not to be, become isolated Christians by failing to meet together, the writer adds, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Therefore, what is being encouraged is good in itself, but the, here's an added incentive, all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think it's true in life that the prospect and anticipation of a future event can help us focus on what is necessary today. Today, from urging Johnny to keep up with his homework because the date of his exams is getting very close, to telling Mabel that she needs to stick to her diet, uh, which for her health's sake is a good thing anyway, but with the added incentive, Mabel, your wedding day is only six months away. (laughs) The writer calls this future event that is meant to stir these Christians to action, the day, as if they would know what it meant. So let's take a little bit of time just to find out what it meant. I need to get rid of this thing somewhere. <laughs> and this side. That's it. Okay then, he is addressing ethnic Jews and uh, who would have had for generations as part of their consciousness a future day It's there in their consciousness that would mark the end of the world as we know it. A day when God will bring his righteous judgment of the living and the dead, we're told. When the hidden thoughts of people will be revealed and where all will give account of every idle word spoken. God's justice will not only be revealed against sin and lawlessness and disobedience, but it will vindicate the righteous and reward the faithful. The concept of a day of judgment was introduced by the Old Testament prophets, namely Joel, Isaiah, Amos, Malachi, but was repeatedly taken up by Jesus and the apostles. It went under different names. For example, the great and awesome day of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. And then... With the coming of Jesus at the end of the age and the day of judgment is marked by his second coming Jesus has come once come as a baby lived among us but now he's coming again in power and glory and the day now becomes the day of our Lord Jesus Christ and we find that Jesus is the judge Jesus is the judge on that day of judgment Now when we look at Old Testament prophecies it's important to appreciate that in many cases the events that are described together uh, in fact are um, many years apart, even thousands of years apart. For example in some prophecies we have the first and second comings of Christ spoken of together which we now know are at least uh, 2,000 years apart. It's a bit like viewing distant hills. Do you see photographs or paintings of hills that in the distance, maybe shrouded in mist? And all those hills look pretty close together from our vantage point. But when we get near, when we actually get to them, we find that they're perhaps many miles apart. And uh, it, you know, it, it's, um, it may look as if they're close, but that is the case. So... Um, let's just look at for a moment at the prophecy of Joel, Joel 2, 28. And um, you'll be familiar with this prophecy particularly because Peter quoted it on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass that, that uh, afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions." even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the early part of this prophecy... It relates to the first coming of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was witnessed on the day of Pentecost when 40 days after Jesus had been raised from the dead, 120 waiting disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all sorts of things happened, um, just as this prophecy foretold. Peter explains that this is in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Yet the second part, in its final fulfillment, awaits the second coming Of God's final intervention at the end of the age to complete his redemptive work and the universe as we know it will be shaken and God will usher in a new age of the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells and we are now in the in-between we're in the in-between in this particular prophecy between the first half and the second half between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus And even though God's righteous judgment at the end of the age will be awesome and terrifying, uh, we are still in the age of God's favour and grace. God is still offering out His grace. We sang in the song, God's proffered hand. God is offering His grace to us because it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is, saved from judgment and saved from God's wrath. The gospel is being preached throughout the world and God's grace is now freely available to all who call on his name. Let's now turn to Jesus and the apostles. It's important to recognize that that this is an expression of God's grace and kindness that he warns us to flee from the wrath to come. That's God's kindness that he does that and to turn to him and be saved. So first of all, then we've got warnings. Um, God sent His Son into the world, graciously sent His Son into the world, and who came to live among us, that He suffered and died so that our sins could be forgiven. And this is the Gospel, this is the good news, and this is the good news of God's loving kindness towards us. But there is a consequence of rejecting this message there is always a consequence and as an example in Matthew 10 and verse 14 we have Jesus having shown his disciples having taught them how to do the stuff he then sends out 12 to preach and to cast out evil spirits and to heal and he adds this and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words shake off the dust from your feet Uh, when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now you can read about Sodom and Gomorrah in um, Genesis chapter 19. Probably most of you are aware of this. It was the time of Abraham and his nephew Lot and God's judgment fell on these two wicked cities. And thereafter their names became a byword for extreme wickedness. Um, you can read about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's quoted, they are quoted various times in the scriptures, but it's always as an illustration of extreme wickedness. Then Paul says to the church at Rome, he says, Do you suppose, O old man, old man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to, to repentance? There it is again. We are in an age where God's kindness is extended to us, which should lead us to repentance. But because of your hard, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's Romans 2, verses 3 and 5. Now, this word wrath is a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? When we think about wrath, is that how we think about God? A God of wrath? But we we must understand, it's not a fit of temper or rage. It is God's righteous response to the sin and rebellion of man that spoils and pollutes our world. I mean, I don't know about you, but we are seeing so much stuff that's evil and dreadful that we see on the news and television. We see the, 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 the depths that man goes in, in sinfulness. And I think we, we all want to cry out, God, there must be justice for these people that are suffering. There must be justice in the world. Well, God will bring his justice. He will bring his righteous judgment at the end of the age and um, to confirm that Jesus will be the judge Paul when he was preaching in Athens on Mars Hill you remember he observed that there were many temples and idols and altars and he found one that was to the unknown God and he talks to the people and says I want to reveal this God to you and then he says the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent That means stop going in the direction you're going, away from God. Turn round and come back to God. Because he has fixed the day when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's Acts 17 verse 30. Then John the Baptist said this, The Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's the present tense. He has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's serious business, folks, isn't it? Really serious business. And that's John 3:35. Whilst this will be a terrible day of judgment for an unrepentant world, it's just the opposite for believers. We need to know that it's just the opposite for believers. It will be a day when our redemption is complete. Jesus will raise us up and unite us with himself. The next point is rescue and hope. Paul says this to the church at Thessalonica. We wait for the Son of God from heaven, who God raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us or rescues us from the wrath to come. There is rescue. Even though there is a terrible judgment to come, there is rescue available. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all the judgment to the Son. There again, Jesus is the judge. That all may honor the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's John five twenty one. And then, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up, on the last day, John six forty. Well, if we truly put our trust in Jesus Christ, we need not fear the judgment. But it's the only reason we need not fear judgment. I remember David who took the first in this series. He said, if you don't accept this, this uh, teaching of the gospel, there is nothing else. There's nothing else for us. If we don't accept that, then the the only prospect is judgment, because we cannot stand there on our on our, on our own, in our own strength, in our own righteousness, claiming that we are right to be there. No, um, we w- will uh, ha- have to face um, God's judgment and justice unless we have received Jesus as our saviour. Um, four weeks ago, we had two ladies who gave their testimony. Um, there was Iris and. Andrea and a really encouraging time and Andrea testified to the power of God's love to cast out fear to banish fear from her life uh, using the scripture from 1 John chapter 4 and it's pertinent for our subject today uh, let me remind you what, um, what John says he says so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us that is the love demonstrated in the fact that Christ died for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. But this, by this is love perfected with us. By this, th- this is how love works. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So we need not fear judgment if we have received God's love in salvation by believing in Jesus. From the passage that we're considering, this prospect of being united with Christ on on that day is the motivation to encourage one another. Paul says something uh, similar in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing so we need to encourage one another in the faith reminding one another of the hope that we have in Jesus the next point is it will come suddenly I don't know, it doesn't seem to have heard any much about it recently but over the years about you I've heard of um, these various uh, religious sects um, that have duped their people into thinking that they know when the end of the world will come. They've even quoted the date and even more tragically some have even entered into suicide pacts because this is the, the, the day that the world will end. But the Bible is clear we will not know the day or the hour. It will come as a thief in the night, but also we are not to be surprised. We are not to, as it were, be caught napping. Um, a number of Jesus' parables refer to this about the master returning to see how the servants are doing and so on. And of course we have the, the famous parable of the, uh, the ten virgins that were uh, waiting for the, for the marriage. They were um, attendants at a, at a marriage. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Uh, five had their oil and their lamps trimmed. The others didn't have any spare oil. And of course, they missed the great event. And it was all about being prepared. We are called to be children of the day, living in the hope of our salvation. Now, when you think about the day of the Lord, um, the end of the world, Jesus returning... How do you view it? What's in your mind when you think about it? Do you look in the future and see a speck in the future and think, well, it's somewhere up there? Well, somebody has, I think, given a better understanding of this. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead and returned to the Father, he returned to the realm that we call heaven, um, and uh, heaven, in a sense, is all around us. And it's just as if Jesus is by our side, And and at any moment, he can break into our, our consciousness, into this world. It's not about looking at a speck in the distance. It's about the fact that this can happen at any time. Here's what Peter says about this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. That's why he's he's telling you about these things. And he says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the watchword then is be prepared and some things that we need to consider firstly and most importantly we have to ask the question do you know that you have passed from death to life do you know that you have God's free gift of eternal life do you know that Jesus is your Savior do you know that you do not need to fear judgment now we can be sure because it doesn't rely on us. It is what Jesus has done, and our trust in what Jesus has done, that secures these things for us. We have to turn the trust in ourselves, away from ourselves, and place it on Jesus, and say, I trust him. I trust that you can see me through. I trust that you can rescue me from God's wrath. Secondly, if we know that our life is, is now secure Paul used the, the phrase in Colossians that your life is hidden with Christ in God um, then we have no need to fear judgment so are we living in the light of this if we are confident about these things what's our life like are we living in the light of it because Peter said in that passage that I just read what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness it matters how we live as individuals before God someone has said what we are in secret is what we are that's what we are before God and we just need to watch our lives what we allow into our lives how much we resist or otherwise the standards of the world I don't know about you but I am a totally aware that the world is trying all the time to squeeze me into its mould. And you have to resist those things. It should be our aim in all we do, in in word, thought and deed, to please the one who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Lord Jesus. So it matters, and it matters how we live our lives together, in love, acceptance and forgiveness and holiness. Paul says this to Timothy, who was a a, a young leader, although I think it applies to all of us. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So it's important how we live. And how we live together in the local church um, can be a demonstration of the kingdom of God and a testimony to the world. Our corporate life should commend God to people, and the, and commend the gospel to people. We we ought to, when we preach the gospel, and they say, "Well, how does this work?" We ought to say, "Come and see, come among us. This is how the gospel works. This is what this is all about. It's about transforming lives." Now, of course, we're not perfect, and and it's important that people see. That, um, that we do make mistakes, but we can be forgiven and know God's forgiveness as well as other people's uh, um, forgiveness. We are meant to be the aroma of Christ. Thirdly, our consciousness that the day of judgment is nearer than when we first believe should motivate us to mission. This is what Peter says, what we just read. He says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of god so the way we live our lives what we do can hasten the coming of the day of god how can that be well one way of course is by making mission a priority jesus said and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come now i read from that is that the more we preach the gospel, the more we take the gospel around the world, the quicker it will be or the sooner it will be for Jesus to return. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but sadly it's so easy to become entangled with the world so that God and his kingdom only get the dog ends of our time and our resources so mission is not just about engaging in evangelism but it is we have to tell people the good news but it's also about loving and serving the people of our community showing them god's love in practical ways and thereby opening their hearts to the gospel if you think back to last week remember steve talked about being provoked to step out of our comfort zones i don't think we like that do we we like our comfort zones I'm only too aware that it's possible to be a a loyal um, church member and find a comfortable level where there's not much challenge to our discipleship. It's so easy. Where little, if anything, could be seen as a sacrifice. This, of course, is in contrast to the Hebrews about whom this letter is written. Um, They were facing uh, many sacrifices just in order to be loyal to Jesus. Um, And we're called to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And for us, it's more about choice and priorities, which I think in some ways can be harder than if uh, um, persecution, if you like, is imposed on us. We have to react to that, but we have to make it through choice and priorities. We have to choose to invest in the kingdom of God with our time and talents and finance, but we're already on that, this journey. We have some good news. Do you remember that um, four years ago, when we wanted to employ one of our leaders full time, um, it was a genuine challenge for a small church um, with um, many retired people. But you responded magnificently to the vision of what would be achieved in advancing the kingdom if we went ahead with this. So that Beacon Church. Um, could be more of a beacon um, in the the, uh, community. And that milestone is behind us. So I'm sure many of you know what it is uh, to realign your priorities and and possibly make um, some sacrifice. So what's next then, just as I draw to a close? Um, Well, most of you know that we've been feeling for some time now that as we've grown that we need a new venue for Sundays, Um, not just a bigger venue but uh, one that better serves our our children and young people with better facilities Um, and um, you know hiring a bigger school is not open to us at the moment Um, that's not available to us so we have to be open to other possibilities Um, being part of a church family as you know we're part relational mission which is part of a bigger church family New Frontiers Um, We do, from time to time, get to see and hear uh, how other churches have secured um, really um, outstanding premises um, for for them to meet and better facilities for their communities and to find out what that was all about and to talk to them. Now, as well as, of course, it being God's intervention and God's provision for them, it's usually meant um, a commitment to the vision and a sacrifice that may be necessary to bring it about when you talk to the people many of them have made sacrifices to bring these things about and uh, so you know where we next meet could be strategic to our mission which is to make Jesus known and worshiped in Herm Bay that it could be strategic but it may be a challenge undoubtedly involving some sacrifice We have to be convinced that this life is not all there is, but there is a glorious kingdom to which we we already belong and which will come in its fullness when Jesus returns. Also, that we can invest in it now by being good stewards of all that God has given us. As Jesus said, storing up treasure in heaven, not on earth, knowing that Jesus will bring his reward with him, and we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we live, we serve, we love, we sacrifice. Uh, we make Jesus known all the more as we see the day drawing near. I'm going to sing a song as we close. And uh, it's really a, a song of commitment. I will offer up my life in spirit and truth.